الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على أفضلهم وخاتم النبيين محمد الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وبعض We begin with Allah's blessed name We praise him and we glorify him as he ought to be praised and glorified And we pray for peace and for blessings on all his noble messengers And in particular on the last of them all the blessed Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I thank uh, Sheikh Riyad for his kind invitation Come back to Kravendi Masjid Hussami Hussami uh, I was here last March And the way I recognized when I entered the Masjid I said, oh I've been here before Uh, I thank him for his kind words and we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may bless this gathering and uh, may help me in what is a difficult topic. Will Israel attack Iran? We will attempt to look at the subject from four different perspectives. Why an attack on Iran? Secondly, if Iran is to be attacked, why Israel? Thirdly, what will be the implications and repercussions of war in Iran? And fourthly, what will be the implications and repercussions if Israel were to lead the war on Iran. Insofar as question one is concerned, why war on Iran? That's not a very surprising subject. After all, they've been waging war on Islam and Muslims for a thousand years now. Who? They started with the Crusades. What were the Crusades. They were most certainly not Christian wars on Islam. Not at all. Why? Because only one Christian people waged them. And they were a people who entered into Christianity long later. More than a thousand years after the time of Nabi Isa these people became Christians. And when they waged the wars to liberate the Holy Land, there were strange and mysterious wars. A European Pope in Rome launched the wars. But no other Christian supported them. And no other Christian joined with them. There were only European Christians who waged the wars. And when the European crusaders had to travel by land, they had to pass through the Christian Byzantine Empire, Byzantium, on their way to Jerusalem. And while passing through Christian territory, the European Christians waged war against their own brother Christians. So we say, these were not Christian wars against Islam. 
Where these were European was masquerading as Christian. And there's even further evidence that when they did eventually succeed in capturing Jerusalem, must have been around the year 1080 or somewhere around there. I don't have the figures in my head. How did they behave? They most certainly did not behave as Christians. They didn't even behave as human beings. They behave as beasts. They unleashed a barbaric slaughter of all the residents of Jerusalem. They didn't spare women, they didn't spare children, they didn't spare old people. The streets were flowing in blood. They took their horses and stabled their horses in our musty. So these were not Christians. Nabi Isa Islam would not recognize them as people who follow him. They look as though they're following Satan not Christians. And they've been waging war ever since. Who are these people who've been waging war on Islam and Muslims for a thousand years now? Who have used every devilish means possible to paint Islam in the worst possible colors while giving Salman Rushdie a knighthood? They're very comfortable with Salman Rushdie. Who are these people who declared of Muhammad alayhi salatu he is the Antichrist. Who are these people who have cartoons of the Prophet alayhi in Denmark? Who are these people who wage war on Iraq and pick up people from the streets of Rome and pick up people from the streets of Afghanistan, of Kabul, and take them to Guantanamo, and then have them abused and sexually abused. And are these Christians? It doesn't seem as to me as though they are Christians. And who take copies of the Quran and flush them down a toilet? No, no. I cannot recognize such people as Christians. Not at all. They've been waging war on Islam for a thousand years now. And so war on Iran would be nothing new. We are accustomed to it. In previous lectures, we directed attention to that verse of the Quran, which we said, appears to us to be the most important verse of all in the Holy Quran, single verse, explaining the world today and explaining those who are waging war on Islam. For the benefit of my dear brother, my beloved brother Sheikh Riyad, who has not been attending the previous lectures, let us repeat the ayah. You have to show patience with me a little bit. You've heard it so many times already. Surah Al-Ma'idah and the ayah is somewhere around 49. The numbering did not come with Ibrahim, so we did the numbering. 
أن الله سبحانه وتعالى ذكرت بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا أيوهها بيت الله لا تتخذوا اليهود والنصارى أولياء Do not take the Jews Do not take the Christians as your friends and allies I had a meeting today with Bishop Quinlan the Anglican Bishop with whom we're going to have the dialogue uh, next week Wednesday at uh, UTC a Muslim Christian dialogue signs of the last day. It, it promises to be a, an interesting dialogue, inshallah. And I was telling this verse of the Quran to him, Bishop Pidney. O you who believe in Allah, do not take the Jews and do not take the Christians as your friends and allies, and Allah could not have been speaking about all Jews and Christians. No. Because in the same Surah Umayyah, he says, that the Christians would one day become your dearest friends, the ones who show the greatest love and affection. So using the Quran, we'll be able to recognize the Christian. He's hostile to Islam. He's not a Christian. Because that's what Allah says. So Allah will not be speaking about all Jews and all Christians. Well, then which Jews and which Christians? The answer is right there in the words is followed. It took him around the same 15 years to understand it. <laughs> 15 years to understand. <laughs> Meaning, do not take such Jews and do not take such Christians as your friends and allies who themselves are friends and allies of each other. Who <laughs> themselves are friends and allies of each other. Imagine that. 15 years to understand just these few words of the Quran. How little knowledge we have. How little. وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ But Christians and Jews were never allies and friends of each other. The Christians accused the Jews of the crucifixion. There was always enmity and hostility and hatred between them. The Quran is anticipating. A time that will come when there will be a strange and mysterious Christian Jewish reconciliation and the establishment of friendship and alliance between Christians and Jews. And that has happened. It has taken place in Europe. It is that Christian Jewish alliance which has given to the world modern secular Western civilization. It is that Jewish-Christian alliance which has been waging a campaign of vilification against Islam and Muhammad sallallahu ta'ala My teacher of blessed memory, Mawlana sallallahu alayhi wa understood that. But didn't tell us. We were too young, we were boys. But when he wrote the Quranic foundations and structure of Muslim society in two volumes, and we're going to soon have that book inshallah on the internet. You can download it. He began that book with a chapter. He's telling us, I know what's happening. He began that book with a chapter on the Christian Jewish campaign of vilification on Islam and Nabi Muhammad. So the Quran is anticipating a time to come in the future when there will be a mysterious Christian-Jewish reconciliation 
When a Pope in Rome would absolve the Jews of any responsibility for the crucifixion, and a Christian-Jewish friendship and alliance would emerge, the Quran is saying that not me. When that happens, then Allah, forget about the Security Council of the UN and forget about CNN. Allah is saying, you are prohibited. You are prohibited. You Muslims, you are prohibited from maintaining friendly ties with such people. Why? We want to know. Why? We accept, O oh Allah, we will obey. But why? Like Nabi Ibrahim, how do you give life to the dead? So it's permissible to ask. And Allah asks, oh, don't you have faith? He says, yes I do, but I want to understand. <laughs> so why has Allah prohibited us from maintaining friendly ties with that Jewish-Christian alliance. Not all Jews, no. So this is not an attack on Judaism. Forget it. If you're preparing to launch an attack on Imran Hussein. Forget it. This is not an attack on Judaism. Because it's not all Jews. And this is not an attack on Christianity. Because it's not all Christians. It's only some Jews and some Christians. Which ones? The ones who come together and embrace each other in a mysterious Jewish friendship, Jewish-Christian friendship and alliance. Why has he prohibited it? The word which follow is the answer. Those of you who turn to them with friendship and alliance, like Pervez Mushallah, those of you who turn to them with friendship and alliance, like the Saudi royal family after they turned their backs on King Faisal and abandoned him, Rahimahullah, those of you who turn to them with friendship and alliance, for in the hominum, you now belong to them. You've left us. Which could mean one of two things. Allah has either no longer recognized you as a Muslim, or that if you enter into their embrace, they will destroy your Islam. Allah does not provide guidance for a people who commit a wrong. Can't you see? They are a people who are committing a wrong after wrong after wrong. Acts of injustice, acts of oppression, monstrously wicked deeds. And will you join with them? Be friends with them. And so war on Iran will just be another page in yet another chapter of a book that started long, long ago. Why this obsession with Muslims and with Islam? Last night we explained, last night we explained, that they perceive Islam and Muslims to be the only real obstacle in their path, the only real threat to their continued dominance and the only real obstacle to the realization of the destiny that they are pursuing a messianic destiny related to Messiah that the state of Israel should rule the world 
and that there should emerge from Israel a man who eventually proclaimed that I am the Messiah. Oh no, he would not be the Messiah. He would be the false Messiah. Yes, we know. Yes, we know that there are going to be many false messiahs. You don't have to remind us because our prophet said so. Sallallahu alayhi wa But this is Mr. Mr. False Messiah himself. This one is Al-Masih al-Dajjal who is going to be impersonating the true Messiah. And so a European attack on Iran if it is to take place would not be something that we need to discuss why because it's obvious it's just continuation of a long long policy but on this occasion they have accused Iran of wanting to acquire a nuclear capacity nuclear weapons and for this they prepared to wage war to prevent Iran, Iran from having nuclear weapons. Oh, but Pakistan has nuclear weapons. We don't hear, we don't hear any objections, any threats against Pakistan because Pakistan has nuclear weapons. So why? Oh, but Iran, um, India has nuclear weapons. Oh yes, the whole world knows that. But there are no threats against India for having nuclear weapons. What's wrong with Iran? Oh, but Israel has nuclear weapons. It's an open secret. And from the nuclear weapons, it's an open secret. So why no threats against Israel? Why the double standard? It's curious. But more than that, Iran has proclaimed itself to be an Islamic state. And Iran is a signatory to an international treaty called the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. It is a treaty which was designed by European civilization. They're the ones who designed it. They engineered it. They put in all the clauses. And they offered a deal to the rest of the world after Europe had already acquired nuclear power. We don't want you to also become nuclear power. If you will sign that you promise not to go nuclear with weapons, then we in turn would assist you to develop nuclear energy for peaceful purposes like electricity. Hmm? This is the deal in the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. And uh, Pakistan denied that treaty because India said this is manifestly unjust, we are not going to bow. And India did not sign. Pakistan said, if India doesn't sign, we will not sign. There's a problem with the nuclear non-proliferation treaty from an Islamic perspective. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the command in the Quran. In Surah Al-Anfal, وَعِدُّوا لَهُمَ اسْتَصَعْتُ مِنْ قُوَّةٍ وَمِنْ وِجَالِ الْسِبَادِ الْخَيْرِ إِلَىٰ أَخِنِ الْآيَةِ 
Bill Power. A command from Allah. Bill Power. Build it to the maximum extent that you have capacity to do so. And the reason why he wants you to build the maximum power possible is not to oppress mankind, not to commit acts of barbarism, not to that your possession of such power may function as deterrence, deterring your enemies from putting their hands on you. The philosophy of warfare in Islam, that you build power so that power may function as a deterrent. The corollary is that if you do not have power and the enemy perceives you to be weak, the enemy will just walk in and put his head on your foot. So there is a problem with the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and the Quran. Pakistan has never been a country that's bothered about the Quran in the conduct of their affairs of state, not Pakistan. Um, so Pakistan refused to sign the treaty because India refused. If India has signed, Pakistan will sign. But Iran signed the treaty. And having signed the treaty, Iran has abided by the terms of the treaty. Oh yes. Neither has Iran ever developed nuclear weapons, nor is there any concrete evidence of Iran being in the process of doing so. They've tried, and they've tried, and they've tried. They've gone on several fishing expeditions. They have manufactured all kinds of false evidence. But yet, there is no concrete evidence that Iran has violated the terms of the treaty. In addition, the Shah is no longer the ruler of Iran. You now have an Islamic Republic. And this is a government which proclaims itself to be in adherence to the rules of Islam. And the Quran declares in Surah Al-Ma'idah, it's the first verse, it's the first verse, when you give your word, keep your word, stay in the Quran. This is applicable to international law that when you sign a treaty you must honor your contractual obligations, your treaty obligations, according to the Quran. When the Prophet signed the treaty of Hudaybiyah, he couldn't read so they had where to sign. After he had concluded the treaty, then Abu Jandal, I think his name was, came forward and uh, he had broken loose and he wanted to he didn't want to go back to Makkah. Huh? I want to go with you. But the treaty said that anyone from Makkah who came would be sent back. Would not be allowed. But anyone from Medina who returned to Makkah would be allowed to remain. 
<laughs> and Abu Jandar is begging the Prophet he's pathetic don't tell me that and the Prophet said no we have to abide by our word hmm? in international law this is called Pacta Sunt Servanda the treaty obligations must be respected, must be fulfilled. They don't do it. They don't do it. I'll give you a spectacular example. When the international monetary system came into being, the present one in 1944, with the Bretton Woods Agreement, and then with the International Monetary Fund, the Articles of Agreement of the International Monetary Fund, international law was established. And the law was that one currency, namely the US dollar, by law would be redeemable in gold. If you have 35 US dollars, and you take it to the United States, the U.S. government is legally obliged to change it, to redeem it for one ounce of gold. The law did not permit individuals to do it, only government. So, what you have to do in South Africa is you have to convert your South African rand to U.S. dollars and give it to your government and say to your government, could you kindly get me the gold? The government will not have to take it to Washington, get the gold and give the gold to you. The government may maybe charge you a small price for that, the, the logistics of this. But the U.S. government was legally obliged under, under international law to redeem U.S. dollars for gold at the rate of $35 an ounce. In 1971, September 71, the British government came to the United States with I think $3 billion worth of US dollars and asked under the law for it to be redeemed in gold. Now Richard Dixon realized that the game was up. The game was up. Because if we redeem the dish money to gold, Monday morning, guess who's going to be at the front of the line? Saudi Arabia. And after Saudi Arabia will be Kuwait. And China will be trying to elbow them out because China also has a pile of US dollars. Hmm? And Uncle Sam didn't have the gold for all the paper he printed. Now if I do that, they put me in jail. That's all. <laughs> because Uncle Sam realized the game was up. What Richard Nixon did was, he said, we gave our word, but we don't have to keep it. That is their conception of fulfilling treaty obligations. So they're not accustomed, they're not a people who are accustomed to the Muslim who gives his word and keeps his word. It's something strange to them. 
So when Iran says we have given our word and we are keeping our word, there is something strange there. We could actually have a people who give their word and keep their word. We don't believe that. So they say we don't trust Iran. We don't trust Iran. And on the presumption that they have a covert agenda or maybe a dream to develop nuclear weapons. We should always warn them. We shouldn't even dream of that. Is this a philosophy of warfare that anyone can be proud of? If this is the way you wage war, tomorrow the world is going to be a jungle. And yet, this is precisely what they're doing. On the presumption that Iran has a covert uh, program for developing nuclear weapons without any evidence, concrete evidence to this, they are threatening to wage war on Iran. If war is waged on Iran, whether it be on this pretext or any other, who would be the one to take the initiative? It will have to be a European state, like the United States, which is a European state, meaning of European extract. But no, George Bush cannot take the lead. <laughs> no. He has enough problems at home with his war on Iraq, with his war on Afghanistan. There is enough unpopularity at home, there is enough dissent at home, there is a sufficient fragility of the U.S. economy for, for George Bush to take the lead in attacking Iraq. I conclude that that's not possible. And if the United States cannot take the lead in attacking Iran, Britain cannot do it. No. Well then, who else is there? Answer, there is only one other European country left. And that is the Euro-Jewish state of Israel. Notice I use the word Euro-Jewish. Because the Jews who are not European were not the people who created the state of Israel. And after the state of Israel was created by the European Jews, then these non-European Jews who were Banu Israel, they had to be forced <laughs> by all different kinds of means and ways, forced to abandon Yemen and abandon Iraq, and there are many in Iran up to now, to abandon Morocco, to abandon Egypt and come to live in Israel. So that leaves only one European state left to initiate the war, and that is the state of Israel. So I have come to the conclusion that if war is launched on Iran, it is most likely that it is Israel who will launch the war, and when Israel launches the war, that 
United States and Britain and all the rest were then joining as they're joining in Afghanistan. If Israel launches the war, what kind of a war would it be? There is a hadith of the Prophet in Sahih Bukhari in which he said, he prophesied that the Euphrates, the river Euphrates will soon uncover a mountain of gold. A mountain, mountain of gold coming from underneath a river does not appear to me to be something that can be understood literally. So you will forgive me if I recognize this as religious symbolism. If it is symbolic language, what could it possibly mean? When we attempt to interpret religious symbolism, we always say, only Allah doesn't make mistakes. And even if we make a mistake, we still get the blessings for it. Because we're making an effort to try to understand. And maybe the mistake that we make will help someone else to come after us who will give the correct answer. Mountain of gold appears to me to have already come out of the Euphrates. It's the mountain of black gold, the oil. The entire oil of that area is symbolized by the river Euphrates the heart of the oil. And uh, he said that people are going to fight for that oil, for that gold. And the hadith goes on to say that 99 out of every 100 will be killed. Again, you'll forgive me if I conclude that wars in which conventional weapons are used never result in 99 out of 100 being killed. At least, not normally. And therefore, it appears therefore to be pointing in the direction of the use of weapons of mass destruction. That 99 out of 100 will be killed. Therefore, one to suggest that if war is launched on Iran, and if Israel launches the war, that it is very likely that nuclear weapons will be used. Yeah. Or maybe new weapons of warfare never used before, but weapons of mass destruction for the first time would be used. If that happens, it could result in massive destruction of the infrastructure of Iranian society, the Iranian economy demolished. And for years and years and years to come, Iran will not be able to pose any military threat, significant military threat to anyone except guerrilla warfare. And they can handle guerrilla warfare. Yeah. War is launched on Iran what would be the implications? We'll come now to the second half of the lecture. Firstly, 
and you don't need a PhD to realize that Iran is a major oil producer and a major oil exporting country and war which is launched on Iran and in particular nuclear war would immediately instantaneously result in the massive rise in the price of oil this would happen after the homework has been done namely that the industrial economy has come to the world with all factories with all its consumption of oil and nearly every economy in the world is now hooked to oil hooked to oil and only the rich will be able to afford and the rich thanks to the monetary system are either the European countries or those who are in alliance with the European countries the rest of the world will not be able to afford to buy the oil at that price I think it has already reached a hundred huh? yeah it has already reached a hundred so if the war takes place it will shoot up to two hundred right away it will shoot up to two hundred right away and keep on going if you cannot afford to buy the oil and you cannot live without the oil transportation grinds to a halt supplies cannot reach the people factories cannot work nobody can drive a motor car trains cannot work what do you do? if the attack on Iran takes place and the price of oil shoots up through the roof then whoever controls oil, the supply of oil in the world will now have the rest of the world as hostages which is why we can now understand wherever oil was discovered in the world they made sure that you control so they control Brunei the Sultan can have as many wives as he wants <laughs> the Sultan can live in as many palaces as he wants but we control oil we control the oil of Saudi Arabia and of Kuwait and when King Faisal made the mistake of trying to extricate himself from that embrace look what happened to him okay so they will control the oil why did they attack Iraq? he's a South African you may have heard about him a man named Nelson Mandela <laughs> when uh, they were threatening to attack Iraq he said that it's the oil they want that's what he said it's the oil he was right there were no weapons of mass destruction in here so when they control the oil 
and you are a hook to the oil and the oil is now beyond your pocket you cannot afford to buy it most of the countries of the world will not be able to buy it well then there is now an opportunity for oil blackmail the system seems to have been designed for this culmination oil blackmail you want the oil you will have to submit to Israel you don't submit no oil come in Surah al of the Quran or incidentally I did not expect that there would be such a huge demand for that book because I didn't realize it don't have so much love for the Quran <laughs> I didn't realize that few people today bother to study the Quran so I thought Surah Al-Kaf on the, on the modern world would be a book that only few people would be interested in but still I want to write it but the demand that is so great is the supply that we brought from uh, Malaysia I'm sure it might be finished in another two days or so so if you do not get a copy what I suggest you do is to simply give your name and give a contact number so we can place another order from Malaysia to, um, to ship some more for you now Surah Al-Kaf of the Quran has guidance in it with which to respond to such a predicament namely you are hooked to oil and the price of oil is now beyond your reach and so you have to submit otherwise they will be cared when the young man fled into the cave remember the Quran says that the sunlight entered the cave morning and evening the sunlight entered into the cave from the right and from the left morning and evening and the bodies of the young men were roaring on the kalibuhum zaatalimini wa zaatashimah what's up? no no I put it wrongly watara shamsa iza sala'akta zawaru anka fihim zaatal yameen wa iza gharabat taqriduhum zaatashimah wa kalibuhum baasifun zira'ayhi bil wafi the bodies of the young men were roaring towards the sunlight morning and evening the reason why the bodies of the young men were rolling to the sunlight because of attraction to the sunlight phototropism and the attraction to the sunlight was because when you get the sunlight the sunlight can be transformed into energy and this is called photosynthesis I believe I studied physics when I was a boy long time ago and therefore Surah Al-Kahf is pointing to you the direction you must take to survive when the price of oil reaches where you cannot reach namely you have to exploit solar energy if you attempt to exploit solar energy you will then see what your enemies are going to do or they are going to come with a big stick 
to beat the daylight out of you. Because they know that if you were to successfully exploit solar energy, you will be out of their grip. Hmm? If there is an attack on Iran, regardless of who attacks, not only will the price of oil instantaneously rise, but also the price of gold. The reason for that is because of the bogus, fraudulent nature of the monetary system that is now existing in the world. Bogus, fraudulent. It has been used to rip you off. When we give the lecture on the gold dinar, excuse me, and silver dirham, Islam and the future of money, which somewhere towards the end of the month, though we have a booklet on the subject, I'll step back. Then we look at money in the Quran. And we find to our surprise that there is money in the Quran. We find the word dinar in the Quran, we'll be surprised. We find the word dirham in the Quran, we'll be surprised. And the money which is in the Qur'an is money with intrinsic value. The value of the money is in the money. And when you use money as in, with intrinsic value as money, not only does it function as a medium of exchange for buying and selling, but more importantly, more importantly, it functions as a store of value. So that money, when you put it away, you could take it out ten years later, it still has a value. And thirdly, and even more importantly, when you use this money, which has intrinsic value, as money, it also functions as a measure of value. What is the true value of the wheat? What is the true value of the corn? What is the true value of your labor? Your sweat. And so there would be a market in which price would be fair. But what they did was to take this money out of the market, the same Jewish Christian alliance, and when they took this money out of the market, they replaced it with non-redeemable paper money since 1951, non-redeemable. And this paper constantly loses value every time it catches a flu, gone down. Catch a cough, gone down. And as the money loses value, but it seems as though their money doesn't catch the cough and the flu as much as ours. <laughs> so theirs does not go down at ours, it goes down. As the money goes down, There is a massive transfer of wealth from the innocent, unsuspecting masses to a predatory elite. That's stated in the Quran. Allah has made it haram. He says, Don't rip off people. Do not cause people's wealth to diminish. 
make it little. Huh? And that's what happens when the value of money goes down. There's another interesting thing about this paper money. And that is, I suspect they have a particular chemical in the Western world. So when they produce the US dollar and the sterling pound and the euro, they dip it in that chemical so it becomes hard currently. <laughs> and we don't have that chemical. So they could take their dollar anywhere in the world. It's hard currency and they could buy anything they want anywhere. And when we take a suitcase filled with Indonesian rupiah, oh, we don't have the chemical. When we go to when we go to Manhattan, we can't even buy a cup of coffee. If only we had that chemical. Eh? So this is a bogus, fraudulent It reacts to external events. When the Saudi government imposed the oil boycott in October, November 1973, it reacted to that event with the US dollar collapsing by 400%. Had it been gold, whatever you do would not affect the value of the gold. But this one, you catch the flu, it goes now. You catch the cold, it goes now. And then in January of 1980, the 15th of January of 1980, the vulnerability of this paper money was again dramatically exposed. The Iranian revolution had taken place in 79, and there was a fear that this revolution, which was anti-systemic. Remember Imam Khomeini declared of the United States that it was a shaitan al-Akbar. Do we have anyone today who dares to say that? Do we have? He said this is a shaitan al-Akbar pointing to the United States. There was a fear that this anti-systemic revolution might be exported to other parts of the Muslim world. So Wall Street was in a state of jitters. What's going to happen? And then the Soviet Union intervened at the end of December 1979 to contain the Iranian revolution on the eastern side, so it doesn't go to Afghanistan. And that confirmed the analysis that Wall Street had been conducting concerning the danger posed by the Iranian Revolution. When the Soviet Union did that, when Wall Street realized that they were right, on the 15th of January 1980, the US dollar crashed to the lowest, lowest value it has ever collapsed in history. 850 is the lowest it has ever been. I expected, and I was wrong, 
I expected there was going to be a meltdown of the US dollar and I've been saying that for 15 years now and it is, that is correct, meltdown is coming but I thought that the meltdown would come suddenly and I was wrong <laughs> the meltdown is taking place incrementally, little by little, like a game, like a dance going on. Over the last few weeks, you would notice what's been happening. Yesterday, the information I got was that the US dollar has reached 870 something dollars today, ounce of gold. So it has already crossed the lowest point. And so we are now in the meltdown. I didn't expect it this way, but it's happening. And what I've been saying for 15 years is now taking place. I can only hope and pray that one day my lean and distinguished brothers, the Muftis of Islam, would realize that they have not studied the subject adequately and they've been making mistakes. This is not for me to speak bad of them, no. I respect them. But you are wrong, you are very wrong when you give a fatwa that this bogus fraudulent monetary system is halal. You are wrong. And it is time for you to correct yourself. The minute the Mufti gives the fatwa that this is haram, then no Muslim in South Africa would pay his zakat in this state. He said, no. I want my zakat to be accepted. So you have to give me dirham. So there will be the market for dirham and dinars. Anyway, anyone who is getting married will pay his mahar in dinars and dirham. When you're going for the hajj, you pay the expenses for the hajj in dinar because I don't want bogus fraudulent money in the fulfillment of my religious obligation. So that would be a good start if only the Muslim will realize. If war on, on Iran takes place, what will happen is this incremental meltdown of the US dollar will suddenly be accelerated, dramatically accelerated. And you will find the US dollar trading at maybe a thousand, two thousand, three thousand US dollars to one ounce of gold. My understanding is that that would imply the collapse, not only of the US dollar, not only of the US economy, with awesome implications domestically within the US economy, but also the collapse of the monetary system which was built around the US dollar. And a new monetary system will come to replace it. Who will be the beneficiaries? We now turn to the last question. What will be the implications if Israel launches the attack, not the United States? If Israel launches the attack, and these inevitable consequences flow. 
and the collapse of the US dollar paved the way for a new monetary system to emerge, then it is most likely that that new monetary system, I wish I knew more about it. I know only a little bit about it, but at least the little I know, I thank a lot for it. The new monetary system is going to be electric money. And so all the money of the world will now be captive, captive, within the banking system. You cannot take your money out of the bank. No. You can't take your money home and put it in a box and lock it up. No. Because there's nothing to touch. There's nothing to see. What? Money I can't see? Money I can't touch? What do you think? You think I have the brains of a donkey? <laughs> that I will accept that as money? Yeah. We go get fatwa. The same fatwa which declares that this bogus fraudulent paper money is halal, the same fatwa will be delivered by those who will now be traveling first class. First class when they travel. Watch it is very pleased with such fatwa. It will be electronic money and it will be captive in the banking system around the world. You can't take the money out. No. All that you can do is transfer the money from one account to another. But we will, we will deal with the subject in greater detail on, in that lecture on the golden hour and silver dirham. Who controls the banking system around the world? I cannot be accused of being anti-Semitic for giving you facts. Why? Is it that you no longer have the freedom to even mention facts? Jewish bankers have always been upfront excelling in banking all through the history. And Jewish bankers control literally control banking system around the world. If I'm wrong, would you kindly give me the evidence to the contrary so I can apologize? And I can withdraw my remarks. Before you slander me as being anti-Semitic. <laughs> if I'm wrong, would you kindly give me the evidence to the contrary so I can apologize and I can withdraw my remarks. If it is true, then when the new monetary system comes into being, Israel will control the money of the world. What are the implications for that? When we deal with the subject of Dajjal, the lecture on Dajjal, which is coming up, you will see where Islam gives a different perspective from the others concerning an interpretation of events unfolding in the world of politics and economics. That an interpretation of the hadith of the Prophet leads us to the conclusion that the Dajjal, the, the false messiah, the antichrist, will pursue his mission through three stages. Stage one, very long. Stage two, 
less intense, day three very short. And uh, we know that in stage one, his headquarters will be Britain. So when I asked ask Bishop, uh, Bishop Quinlan, were you born in Cape Town? He says, no, I was born in Britain. You know what you've been saying about my country. <laughs> Britain will be the headquarters. The first ruling state. And our analysis led us to the conclusion that when Britain was the ruling state, Britain had that mysterious relationship with the Holy Land. Remember the Balfour Declaration, for example. But Britain also had control over money. Sterling Pound, Bank of England. And that Sterling Pound became the international currency. The monetary system was built around Sterling Pound. And then according to the Hadith is a second stage, a second ruling state, and the United States. And the United States had control over money, the US dollar became the international currency. The entire monetary system built around the US dollar. A fraudulent, bogus system that allowed the United States to reap unjustly the wealth of mankind. Only one Muslim leader in the last 70 years, only one <coughs> Muslim leader has spoken out courageously to uh, declare this to be bogus and fraudulent and unjust, to expose it. And he was not a mufti, he was not a sheikh, he was an essentially secular prime minister of Malaysia named Dr. Muhammad Mahathir. Yeah, nobody else. Nobody has spoke out the way he did. And there is going to be a third and a last ruling state. I don't expect any non-Muslim to agree with me. I don't ask him to agree with me. He has his own perspective. These are is our perspective. Which has now the prophet and his as well. The day is going to be a third and a last. And the third and the last day we anticipate will be Israel. And for Israel to become the ruling state in the world, one of the things that Israel will have to do would be to control money. The new monetary system, which would be electronic money. So this will be one of the significant implications of a war on Iran led by Israel. But there are others as well. In order for Britain, to become the ruling world state in the world, Britain had to wage war all over the world and colonize all over the world, war after war after war after war, for England to become, for Britain to become the ruling state in the world. In order for the United States to take over for Britain, the United States had to lead, be the clinching factor for victory in the First World War. Without the United States, Britain would have, Germany would have won the war. It is only when the United States entered the First World War that the tide turned against Germany. And then again in the Second World War, it was the United States that led the war. So in order for the United States to take over from Britain as the new ruling state in the world, the United States has to demonstrate its capacity to wage major war. 
if Israel is to replace the United States then Israel will also have to wage war demonstrate its capacity for major war demonstrate its capacity for the use of nuclear weapons you cannot be the ruling state in the world today unless you have nuclear weapons and you show you have the capacity to use them finally in the same way that Britain expanded her territory and the sun never set on the British Empire in the same way the United States expanded her territory all over the world so to Israel will have to expand I have a quote from Moshe Dayan I wrote it all and I brought it Moshe Dayan General Moshe Dayan said and this is a quote from the London Times of the 25th of June 1969 the very famous Israeli General and he's not Dajjal no he has one eye but he's not Dajjal in fact he was a very great General Moshe Dayan declared our fathers had reached the frontiers which were recognized in the UN partition plan of 1947 which is 56% of the land our generation reached the frontiers of 1949 which is 78% of the land and now the sixth day war of June 1967 this generation has managed to reach Suez, Jordan and the Golan Heights but this is not the end this is not the end said Moshe Dayan because the Bible says that the Torah that the land the holy land extends from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates whoever wrote that of course it didn't come from Allah whoever wrote that has wrote that, written down the recipe for Armageddon whoever wrote that because Israel now in order to successfully achieve her messianic destiny in order for Dajjal to be able to convince the people that he is indeed the true Messiah the state of Israel will have to expand even further the only way that the state of Israel can expand dramatically to take on all of this territory is with a big war this is my opinion I can be wrong it is possible that war on Iran can be used as a pretext for that bigger war which will allow Israel to expand to that entire territory from the Suez so take control of the Suez Canal to the river Euphrates so therefore taking control of the oil of the Euphrates if this happens then the stage would be set for Israel to replace the United States as the new ruling state in the world when that happens as I expect it to happen then the basic thesis of my book Jerusalem in the Quran would have been validated if you have not as yet read Jerusalem in the Quran please read it but I just had dinner in a home here in Quezon B 
and someone who read Jerusalem in the Quran asked me a question which led me to the conclusion he hadn't read Jerusalem in the Quran so maybe you have to read it a few times there is a book at the back entitled Signs of the Last Day in the Modern Age in that book you'll find this like written out I speak not part of the lecture because of time but you see the complete analysis in that book Signs of the Last Day in the Modern Age you also see last night's lecture on Islam and the end of history in that book so I suggest that you read that book inshallah if war on Iran takes place then that's the fall finally Iran is a part of Khorasan the north of Pakistan is a part of Khorasan what is Khorasan? the hadith of Yomidi the Sunan of Yomidi that the prophet said when you see the black flag coming from the direction of Khorasan know that no one will be able to stop that army until it reaches Jerusalem the, the New York Times could say what it wants you cannot beat Muhammad forget it how many times do we have to tell you you cannot defeat this man Muhammad sallallahu ta'ala you can try all the deception all the tricks all the barbarism you can unleash even more barbarism in Iraq in Afghanistan in the Holy Land it still will not prevent this man being successful Muhammad he said when you see the black flags coming from the direction of Khorasan no one will be able to stop that army not even all the cruise missiles that you have so we're not afraid of it no one will be able to stop that army you can put that in your bread and eat it no one will be able to stop that army until it reaches Jerusalem liberates the Holy Land it cannot be stopped it will take place not even Singapore got it <laughs> No one can stop it. Where is Khorasan? Oh, he also said, second hadith, Imam al-Mahdi will be in that army, and he commands you go and join that army and give the bayah to him even if you have to crawl over ice. Even if you have to crawl over ice. This means even if you have to leave your Mercedes behind and get down. Go and join that army. Where is Khorasan? before you attack Iran and before you send the Pakistani Air Force to attack the northwest frontier of Pakistan ask yourself where is Khorasan? Khorasan is all that territory east of the river Euphrates extending up to the northwest of Pakistan the whole territory of Afghanistan and the territory north of Afghanistan all of that is Khorasan so when you unleash war in this territory you building the army that is going to liberate the Holy we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may bless all those who direct attention to using the Quran to understand the unfolding world today and use the Quran for guidance how to respond to it